everyone. I'm Dr. Rachel Lupian. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Sparrow. Our climate is in crisis, and we all want to help, but we might not know how. We're talking to people who have figured out how to use their talents to combat climate change in the hopes that their journey might inspire your own. This is How We Got Here, because the Earth needs professional help. Hey, Steph. Hey, Rachel. Oh, no, what's that sigh? <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm excited to see you. Moving to Denmark, I assume, has been a change for you, just a little. But it's also been a change for me, because I haven't seen you as frequently. I know, I have to record later at night, so I'm a little sleepier. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. It's okay. Yeah. You got yeah. this. You got yeah. this. Um, but yeah, it's that's true. I was thinking about that. It feels like I'm on like an extended vacation. So I like, I don't think I've been very good at keeping in touch with people because it just feels like I'm temporarily away. But it's I need so to change hard. my ways. Yeah. You'll get, it'll just take a while to get into a groove, I think. It takes a while to yeah. settle in. Yeah. I mean, the, the good side of that is that it literally does feel like I'm on vacation because I'm in this cute little European city. So... I cannot emphasize to the listener listener enough that Rachel lives on like not that I've been, but I've seen photos. The cutest oh, Instagram's a thing. Oh my god, the street that you live on is like out of a out of like a a, a movie. I don't even know. It's it feels I, unreal for me to look at. I don't think you've seen a picture of the street I actually live on. I've seen little because... cobblestones. Yeah, my apartment, you kind of enter like through this, (laughs) through a torval, uh, a square where there is a bar that is very active (laughs) at all hours of the day. And there's often, there's McDonald's close by. So it's not as glamorous. As quaint as I'm picturing. Yeah, but but nearby is quite quaint. <laughs> you yeah, the pictures you post of streets nearby are very quaint. Should I post the this bar? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you it, got people, it. What's it called? People What's party called? hard here. I can't it's even wild. imagine. I can't imagine. It's, I'm so tired well, thinking about it. Okay, it's how we would say it in English is Hos Anders, but they say Hosanas. It means like Anders's house or Anders's place. Like House of Anders. Yeah, I it's got more like it. plate. Yeah. Anyway, one of my goods this week is that I'm killing it at Danish class. <laughs> you got, here's the thing. I also saw on Twitter that you have a Danish keyboard, and all it was. Oh a yeah, I'm getting tweet. all my. Uh, thank you. It, uh, that yeah, that that wasn't real. I mean the the Danish alphabet just has three extra letters. It's not like replacing the A with the A with a little O on it. But anyway, but I love. Yeah, I, I I'm it. getting my like new work computers, and the keyboards not only have three extra letters, but they're they're organized a little places. differently. Yeah. yeah the yeah. main thing is that the question mark is like at the top right. Oh no. So I always it's like yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of things. Um, this isn't Danish, but... Culture shock, am I right? <laughs> I have a colleague on my trivia team, and you use a phone for the trivia team, and I don't think Taylor's upset for me to tell... He's just a real nerd. I can't explain it any other way. And he's like a coder. Mm-hmm. So his keyboard is Dvorak? Not QWERTY. Dvorak? And I oh, was in charge Dvorak. of like typing in on his phone, which is not QWERTY. Oh, no. And I literally almost broke his phone in half. I was like, oh dear. So I can't. That's the really weird. If you're trained one way, even a little thing like a question mark out yeah. of place, you're like, it's going to take a while. Yeah. I get it. 
That is true. It is QWERTY, luckily. Okay. Because that would be Because there horrible, are some that aren't, but... whatever the hell, some computer nerd's going to be like, Dvorak means blah, it blah, is, blah. Because there's three extra, yeah, oh, I don't know. There's three extra, so it's a little squished, even on, like, your phone. Anyway. Anyway. I get it. I get it. Do you have a good, bad Holy for me this week? Holy shit. Do I? I don't. <laughs> Rachel, I'm so tired all the time. How's the fall foliage? Oh, it's great. It's delightful. I'll do fall foliage, it's, good, the bad. The leaves are changing here. Oh my gosh, I'll do a fall foliage, good, bad. So, okay. it is delightful to be in a place with fall foliage in October and to wake up and have 50 degree Fahrenheit. I know this is not what you're thinking about yeah. temperature in. 10? 15 degree temperatures? I uh, could not tell you. Great. Good <laughs> enough. I, I did that right. Still thinking Fahrenheit. <laughs> great. So, like, wake up in the 40s and, and it's starting to change and it's so fun. Um, but part of my project, and this is a good bet also, is to go out and give visitors surveys. So I have to, like, stand next to my sign and be like, hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm from the Scudic Institute. Well, I'm learning who to ask and who not to ask. Like, the, oh. cruise, the cruise ship people, they suck. I'm going to die on this hill. Oh, really? Well, they're all, like, in oh, there. I feel like they would be Nope. super, like touristy and gung-ho no. they're peeping they're all everyone's no, peeping. peeping everyone's peeping but okay. the cruise ship people they'll literally be sitting in front of me and i'm like hey mm-hmm. do you have a minute to talk to me for science and they're sitting across from me i've seen them sitting there for five minutes they're like no i'm like okay it was no, fine people don't no have time to for you people don't have to but it's also and the other thing that's super <gasps> funny the so it's two parts i give you a really short in-person survey and i'm like hey here's a postcard can you take a longer survey and also i'm going to email you this longer survey Old people, mm-hmm. I guess libraries are doing a really good job. So the most contentious part of the survey is, can I have your email address? <laughs> They're like, oh. what are you using it for? Who's going to be given oh, this yes. information? Mm-hmm. Um, They're very protect These older folk it's are the very protective over their plus crowd. So it's yeah. been... In- I'm like, what do you think is going to happen? I literally now have a spiel. Oh. I'm going to send you one email. It has a longer survey. I don't want your email address. I just want you to fill out this survey. If you want to give me your email, please fill out this thing in the back. I will not keep in touch. No. <laughs> no one else has this. I'm a scientist. I filled I out IRB. I care about what you're the doing. The data is anonymous. <laughs> like, it's a whole thing. Because you can just see people's oh, no. faces. Like, just, like, you want what? What do you want? Right. They think you're going to sell their email. You're like, no, no, I am a literal scientist. <laughs> right. I don't actually want this data. If you could just do this other thing. So good, yeah. bad. Good, bad. It's been. Oh, you did do an IRB. Oh, yeah. It sucked. I did. Oof. And also it's just like, it's not this. my thing. I mean, I'm like a computer scientist, right? So to like go right, stand out yeah. there and be like, hello, it's a new hello, yeah. hello, please. And getting told no. I can think of. I can think of worse people to do that, but you could probably I think of better people too. Don't envy you. Yeah. No, 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 I cannot. I'll take it. What about you? What's your good bad? Killing it at Danish. Okay. I am doing gut at Danish. Great. Good. That means good. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> God, I'm killing it at Danish. <laughs> My gut. Anyway. Very um, good. Is I, that very good? I. Convince people, well, I had already convinced them to give me a bunch of money, but I I spent some of that money and it felt very odd. I was like, do I need to like ask somebody? Do I need to make sure I'm allowed to do this? No. But I guess the answer is no. Amazing. They just trust me to spend a bunch of money correctly. But yeah, so I bought an instrument. It'll show up in like January, hopefully. I thought you were going to say 2024. So here we are. Well... Yeah, they say, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I gotcha. They first said three months, that didn't, anyway, anyway. January is three months. So that's good. Other than that, 
Oh yeah, three months. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I I've I made it through my first month as being assistant professor, which honestly I is a feel lot. Like yeah, it's a lot, and I'm very grateful to my everyone in my department who is like well aware that it's a lot, and so they are trying their best to not make it so much for me. Yeah, and I greatly appreciate that, but I do still feel like, you know, it's the moving to a different country. I still get lost in the building. Yeah. I don't know the language yeah. that is being spoken 50% of the time around yeah. me. And I just, it's just, it adds up. So I'm just feeling like a little dumb all the time, you know? I you know the feeling? I do. I do. <laughs> My admin coordinator, I'm what, three years in? She's like, you can't keep using your new as an excuse anymore. Because I, <laughs> I still do. I'm like, I'm not, fr- I don't know what yeah. this, you, I don't know. You're you- like, I'm an outsider here, so yeah. therefore. <laughs> I think you get that yeah. excuse. Are you? It's not an excuse. You are warranted. You've had so many yeah. life changes that are not small. And it's not, it's not even like, I think I am doing a good job I'm of sure asking for help sure when I need it. But it's like, it's like, I'm just out of it. Yeah. Oh, I get <laughs> I'm it. like kind of sleepy and like. Oh, man. And people ask me like to make a presentation about about what my research goals are and so we can start collaborating. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like add it to my to-do list. I'm like, oh. Listen, oh. I feel that way too. <laughs> I I think we're both just in this like very it's odd. All exciting. Yeah. But like exhausting. Really. Exhausting. I mean, as the listener might realize, this podcast is not coming out bi-weekly like we often intend. But we're both just trying our best. <laughs> we're doing it. We're trying we're our it. best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll be back in New York and Virginia in no time, right? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're good. We're all right. Well, do you know what's really funny? I feel like every week I'm here talking about climate anxiety and our guests. (laughs) Let me talk about this. And we're both just talking about it. It was such a wild conversation. So I'm just going to introduce her. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Uh Uh-huh. All right. (laughs) Sarah Chiquette Ray is a professor and chair of the Environmental Studies program at Humboldt State University. And she's been teaching environmental studies for a while. And after teaching environmental studies for a while, she started to realize that her students, like the rest of us, I'm gonna quote her here, were growing increasingly despaired and immobilized by the state of the planet in politics. So that sounds like us. So basically she's like, I need to look into the tools to address this, to help my students. And that's why she's here with us today to talk about her journey and her book titled A Field Guide to Climate Anxiety, How to Keep Your Cool on a Warming Planet and I can't think of a more, a better resource that we need right now than this book. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks for having um, me. I, yeah, of course. And the, the listener does not know, but you just... You were just so resilient, which is a word you use a lot in your book, <laughs> but like through 26 full minutes of tech issues and you persevered. We did we're it. So, we're here. We're just really grateful. <laughs> you took that time. You're taking this time. Yeah. All of it. Very all grateful. It. it was fun. I needed, I needed to learn those things about my computer anyway. So it was, <laughs> it was new good. Computers, new computers suck. What Everyone a positive has, outlook on life. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone check your sound settings. They're miserable. <laughs> um, okay. What do you 
you do? What's your job title? What do you have a business card or a LinkedIn? Does it have a, does it have a name under your name, a title under your name? <laughs> I know I don't have a LinkedIn. I feel like this is one of those oh. FOMO situations where I'm like, do no, I need a LinkedIn? Oh no, no, you don't. Um, no, no, you don't. No, I don't have uh-huh. LinkedIn, but I do have a, I do have a title. I have a title. Uh, that's a professor and chair of environmental studies. Oh, yeah, chair. it feels pretty have you watched the chair. Yeah, a chair. Have you um, watched the Netflix? Have yeah, you watched? So have you watched the show? So, I so also good. loved it. Loved I had so good. Colleagues who were like too real, and I was like, but delightful. Yeah, I want it to be real. I love the fact that somebody made entertainment out of our suffering. <laughs> yes, yeah, they <laughs> noticed us. And the whole like anyway. the gender stuff and the race stuff was just like. So spot on, and it's yeah. it's so everybody's life. And I was like, oh, this is not just my crazy institution. This is all the institutions. So Great. okay, maybe that's better. I don't know. I think that's. I, I don't know. We're all in this hell together. <laughs> Rachel's about we to can't escape it. Yeah, I'm about to start as assistant professor. I'm so ready. I, I'm going to start off as the chair. Low <laughs> expectations. Low, keep those expectations real oh, low. low. Oh, they're low. <laughs> That's how I live my life. So, okay, as a professor and chair, what do you actually do? If somebody behind you in line at the bar or at CVS, what do you tell them? Oh, yeah, I tell them I'm a professor and chair because I, <laughs> I, I, I own that. Up. I own that. And, you know. Okay, in what? <laughs> in, in this thing, environmental studies. And usually the cool thing about environmental studies is that in this day and age, most people kind of know what that is. There was a moment there where people were like, what's that mean? Um, And it used to be that people just thought that meant science, like environmental Mm -hmm. science. Oh, I know what that is. I think I can maybe imagine that you go and took a unit on that in high school. Yeah, Yeah. like I can go and like go and you measure samples of things or you test water quality or you count bugs or something. And um, sounds fun, honestly. (laughs) Sounds awful to me. (laughs) So, having spent enough time with a microscope, I can tell you, not going to happen. And 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 frankly, not even I don't even enjoy being in the field. I'm one of those weirdos. Um, But yeah, I I, I'm a humanities person. So uh, the big thing that would have to be explained to somebody in the CVS line is I don't I don't measure stuff or look under a microscope. I'm a humanities person who does the environment, and that's where everybody starts to go cross-eyed and wonder like, how is that even possible um so that would be the explanation point was it would be like oh yeah religious studies how do you do that in the environment and how do you do english literature in the environment how do you do it's all related yeah. you know critical race theory in the environment what's all that you know would so. you call yourself a humanities human at any time yeah oh i like that. okay great yeah cool cool, yeah. cool. And, and and even like a humanitarian humanities oh. human Oh my God, Triple H! <laughs> my body that... just blow. You just watched me. Oh my gosh! Well, what I find so funny is when people say, "Oh, you're a humanitarian." I'm like, "No, I'm humanities, <laughs> but I'm not well, anti-human." <laughs> we're pro. We're pro humanitarian here. Yeah, I do. Really That's good too. Here. That's a good stuff. That's you know, That's donations go to humanitarian causes. You know, so. I love it. Do you like okay. hummus? Do you like humus? Anyway, I like sorry, them too. We can move on. I like okay, that great. too. <laughs> All the all the hummuses and the humuses and the oh man okay I feel like I have an idea of what you actually I like to cook as well so I make my hummus from scratch yeah it's humid outside okay sorry Steph we'll move sorry. It is actually so, yeah. <laughs> well, teaching teaching college students is the easiest thing, right? Like, what do you do? I teach yeah. college students, 
And then after yes. that, I teach them environmental studies, which is like, at this point, what's so cool, y'all, is that people actually now have come to realize the insight that environmental problems are not just up for scientists to mm. solve yeah. and that humans might have to get into the equation. Yes, I mean, that's probably to, better if they do. Yeah, maybe yeah. we need to <laughs> we need learn about humans to figure out how to solve our environmental problems. And so all those fields that are about humans, psychology, communication, all of them, you know, they yeah. all have weighed in on climate. And so people are becoming more, way more aware that humanities and social sciences are uh, real important tools in the environmental problem solving toolkit. So, you know, I well, took environmental yeah. studies in just one class. I was a geology major, but environmental studies class, and it was taught, it was co taught by a geology professor and a sociology professor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a nice little blend. Yeah, the co-teaching across disciplines is like the best, the best. If you can do it, yeah, it's the best. If you can do it. If you, <laughs> well, if I was going to say, that's why it. you're actually here, Sarah, because we are scientists, scientists. Yeah, that's and exactly we have it, really. <laughs> but you wrote this amazing book called A Field Guide to Climate Anxiety, How to Keep Your Cool on a Warming Planet. And we're going to talk about that because I wake up anxious every day. She does. I, I mean... <laughs> That's okay for so many reasons. Pick a pick a thing and climate. Climate is not a produce a podcast. <laughs> po- podcast first, then climate change, <laughs> then being an assistant professor, oh, yeah. then having a child. I guess that's on there. I don't oh. know. He's fine. Um, what do you actually actually do on a day to day basis? So how do you what do you spend your time doing? I have a feeling. I mean, watch the chair. Yeah, one. one. Sure. First, first thing I do is turn on the TV. Yeah, absolutely. That's like you can do that during work hours. I mean, no, that's highly related. Watch, no, no, it's no, research. No. Watch it's the research. chair to get up. Exactly. <laughs> Professional how, development. How would Sandra O deal with this uh, situation? Yeah, what w- would Sandra w- do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, if we all lived like that. I need to get the water ball and the you know the bracelet so I can be reminded. Um, so now, uh, what do I do? So. Navigating bureaucracy of an institution is is a significant part of it. Yeah, you it you is. get your PhD in a, a topic and you think, oh, I'm gonna go be a scholar of this amazing thing that's gonna maybe save the world in some small way. Steph just started crying. I'll share. I know I can see your face. And then I'll share this with aspiring, idealistic young people who all want to do the same thing. And that's sort of what you imagine it's gonna be like. But in fact learning 15 different forms of software and a new one every year because they've instituted a new kind of assessment or you know figuring out how to predict course demand or solving students myriad life problems that have nothing yeah. to do with the topic that you got a PhD in mm-hmm. i mean yeah. you know all that stuff um, managing human beings you know that kind of thing i so <laughs> i'm going to jump quickly into your book right now you had a sentence in there you're Were you trying to say that my like, daily life is boring <laughs> Oh my god, no, no, no. I was gonna say, oh my god, no, I mean, I know what our daily life is. It's email. I hope your chairship ends soon. But you had a thing, you had a sentence in there because you're teaching these, basically, we both teach students about climate change. uh, But you had a sentence in there, like, you had a whole chapter about a student who was just like, kind of a hedonist, who's like, let it burn. What does it matter, right? And you said something like, if I had been taught emotional intelligence, as a professor and I'm like why do they not teach us how to deal with students because it is I basically read (laughs) your book and I was like they should teach professors more things like how to teach and how to deal with students emotions and all of and maybe you get more of that as a human humanitarian uh which we don't in the science (laughs) but I was just like god damn it she's right I I 
yes, like, I know exa- I know that student. I know the student who's like, what does it matter? And I also know the, like, uh-huh, I don't, good point. I don't know. It, it kind of does <laughs> a little bit. But I'm excited for you to tell us why it, it does matter. Um, so we are living in a time, and your book explicitly says to not focus on the negative, but I'm going to, for a second, where everything is, like, literally on fire. <laughs> Right? Like everything's up. Even I'm in Maine right now and it's so hot and I'm so grumpy about it. I came here for the cold weather and for the mosquitoes. Uh, (laughs) But you talk about sort of reframing this narrative and you have this book, this like wonderful book that lays out all of these things you can do to sort of grapple with climate anxiety, which is just existential and and around us. And could you just maybe talk about that a little bit and what you think your biggest, the biggest advice you would give to people who are grappling like we all are with climate anxiety and seeing literally Europe's on fire, this is on fire, that's on fire, floods, all the floods, right? Like all of these things. Yeah. Um, so just to circle back to this point about do the scientists need to deal with students' emotions? Um, it's amazing <laughs> because for, for many, many years as an environmental humanist, I have I felt like uh, the mandate of the humanities was to convince scientists that we have something to offer and maybe invite us to their classes sometime to speak to their uh, students about yeah. something, you know, oh, um, much man. less like beyond. You're welcome in my class you know, anytime, But it's Sarah. so interesting since the climate anxiety focus, since I've turned to focusing on hmm. your students are freaking out, they, you're going to need some new tools because it's a different ball game than it used to be like it used to be get them to care and the the modus operandi for getting people to care has always been especially in the sciences just give them the litany of all the problems you know and like show them the data yeah Yeah. here's like data 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 it's bad people it's bad as if your students are like the far right wing seven percent deniers yeah you know and it's like no they those students turns out they are no longer ignorant about climate change they come in fully informed, you know, climate change is in the K through 12 curriculum now, most, most places. And there are, many of them are either in denial because they're totally freaked out and they don't know what to do, cognitive sure. dissonance kind of situation, yeah. or they're in that state, like you described that student in the book who's just like, I, there is no place to put this. So it's my emotional responses problem. are going to be, yeah. you know, all of these other things. And so the, the, does the need for that kind of emotional lens on how our students are encountering the content that we're delivering is actually higher in the sciences than any other. I've never had scientists want to talk to me so much as I have since I've written a book on climate anxiety. They're like, yes, <laughs> that's the problem I'm having in my classroom. Can yeah. we bring that in? Can we figure this out? And I've yeah. really valued that. I've really valued the fact that so many science educators are thinking about this question. It's really it's really alive it's, for them. It's so yeah. pertinent. I teach, right, so I'm that scientist who teaches a physical science, environmental science, intro to earth and how it works class. And like every, the end of almost every lecture is like, and here's how we've made it worse. And yeah. here's how, we, here, here's the normal cycle and here's what we've done to it. Here's yes. the normal cycle and here's what we've done to it. And you sort of just see, and my students are always like, what can we do? That like I make them write reflections, right? Cause I know a little, uh, I'm dabbling in like, let's think about how we feel, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, I true, I see every year I sort of thought when I started like almost a few, uh, half a decade ago being like, oh, my students were, are going to give me hope, right? Like what a stupid thought. Cause I'm like, they're young, they're motivated, <laughs> <laughs> but every year they're like, it's more kind of just like F you, 
I inherited this awful planet. You tell me what to do. Like, I don't know yeah. what to do. And yeah. I'm like, yep. Yeah. They're like, voting doesn't work. This doesn't work. Yeah. And I think you get into that a little bit when you're talking about, like, small things matter. Like, what you well, do. Well, and that, so it's that sense of being um, given a responsibility that they didn't choose or want or yeah. is not of their making creates an incredible right. amount of anger and resentment and sense of betrayal. And mm-hmm. they're carrying that into the class, too. And, you know, you the three of us are not... Also, we're also in that boat. I, I feel like the adults in the oh, room yeah. failed me yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not that young, but I'm, you know, still feeling like, what do we do people? I don't know. Well, even if it's not like a generational thing, yeah. it's still an individual yeah. thing. And there's, and the we're in this moment where the, the people before us taught us some bad stuff and did some bad stuff and yeah. maybe they didn't, weren't aware of it, but still. And so that sense of betrayal that they feel, um, that sense of things being really, really bad, um, and not having solutions focus. I think it's a almost yeah, ethically. I feel that all the time. Yeah, and it's like yeah. ethically, it's actually ethically dubious, I think, for educators to just leave students with the problems and not take care of what that actually does to right. them. Or at because, least point them to resources. Yeah, for, yeah. yeah it's, it's really, um, this. it's the old school way of doing environmental education. And, it's, and anybody who studies psychology, um, communication, pedagogy, climate these, anxiety, climate anxiety, those topics, <laughs> like the, the whole cluster of these things right. knows yeah. that this is actually a um, self-fulfilling prophecy kind of situation where <laughs> the doom that you're, you're describing will be exacerbated by the fact that these students have that feeling of, of what psychologists call pseudo inefficacy, where if you tell them the problem is so big that they can't fix it, they won't even try to fix it. Uh, and because so, why would you? Why would you? Right? Right. Like, why would you? Right. And so it's like too big. So this notion that you can make, you could get people to act by telling them that the problem is so big, um, which is what most people are doing all the time, because the problem is so big and they feel like they're being honest about the right. problem, um, right. is in, in fact backfires. So that's that's the real challenge to try to educate people around, you know, you might be thinking you're telling everyone the truth about climate. Um, but that actually can backfire and make people less capable of engaging on climate. And so that's the real hook, you know. I like that was really interesting where you emphasize like storytelling is so important. And this is where the environmental humanities comes in because it's like the stories we tell ourselves and how we motivate ourselves to do something or even like the decisions that have been made previously is because the narrative has been so poor around this issue where it's just doom and gloom. And people are never motivated. I think you got at this too. People are never really motivated to do anything out of guilt. Like you could do something for a little bit, but it's not going to last. Like to, to be motivated in a, over time, it has to be out of like, does this bring you joy? Are you proud of this moment? Like, why are you doing this? Like it has to come from within. But do you have any, like, what would you, to those of us like me, who I'm putting it myself, who are, <laughs> truly in that same boat like pissed off at everybody in congress all the time right and like just sort of like how did we get this far what how did we get here call call me down (laughs) call me down i guess what what do i do how do i calm myself i can do some breathing i know that i do that all the time (laughs) you know actually it's interesting i i i find i can only access the deep breathing once i've had some intellectual work done so i'm going to treat you the same way professor person um you know the the thing that i find so interesting about that because i'm there all the time too right i'm there all the time and i will even sort of 
get tempted into the rabbit hole of despair, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm like, okay, I've, I've built some tools, so so bring it on. Let's do this. Let's see how, how hard I can go. Challenge you know? like, it's like, let's, let's bring on the bad news. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go, you know? And I turn on the news and I do it and I do it for a little while and then I can, and then I, then I do this thing or I do kind of some mindfulness where I'm like, how is this making me feel? You know, and I really, mm-hmm. I use it as like an experiment, you know, like, yeah. how does this bad news make me feel? Or like just listening to what's happening anywhere in the news at all in any way, shape or form, social media, media, news, New York Times, um, t- television news, like whatever format the news is coming in is designed to make us feel bad and doom and gloom mm-hmm. because our negativity bias and our amygdalas back from our reptilian brains wants us to focus on that, which then creates the demand that therefore fuels the supply of what media will give us. Right. So it becomes this terrible cycle of doom and gloom and doom and gloom and doom and gloom, which isn't to say that the things that are being reported on the news are not true things, right? It's not right. fake right. news. I'm not talking about Completely. fake news right. here. I'm talking about those may be true things, but they are a particular way of that they're being told and they're only one little sliver of truth. Right. And so this notion that we live in a much more complicated, nuanced world where there isn't just one truth of terrible news, there's this whole other range of reality that is hard to package in news. And it doesn't get eyeballs in news or social media. In fact, outrage gets the most eyeballs. What we call negative emotion things in, if you code for what gets the most circulation around social media, it's always negative emotions or uncomfortable emotions like outrage. Um, So the notion that we, isn't that crazy, right? (laughs) I wish it wasn't like that. But so if we participate in that, we fuel that even more, right? We put our eyeballs on stuff that that perpetuates that system. It's putting fuel on the fire, so to speak. And every Facebook post I've ever made is just like anger. Like yeah. it's a New York Times, like angry headline. Yeah. That's it. And, and I we, barely post and on it Facebook. It feels there's something about that that's actually sort of in a funny, ironic way, a little bit self-regulating because it makes us feel like we're doing what we can to resolve this problem. We're not alone. Yeah. We're spreading the news, right? We're sharing the truth. We're, we're righteously, you know, indignant yeah. and therefore that's going to be good enough. But it turns out that that every time we participate in that, every time we allow that kind of temptation, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls nutriments, every time we allow that kind of consumption of these nutriments, it's like, it's like sugar or, or high fructose corn syrup or inflammatory information in our bodies. It actually acts yeah. in our bodies the same way inflammatory inflammatory foods acts in our bodies right so we have to think about what we consume in terms of ideas and stories in the same way that people always talk about what we consume physically into our material bodies and in fact these two this boundary between ideas and materiality is much more fluid it turns out all this research on mindsets and how mindsets can actually change your gut and your genetic coding and all this stuff Uh. it's like crazy stuff so if you think about the mind body connection around your amygdala getting hijacked by the bad news, your negativity bias fueling it. Yeah. And then what it does to your body, it makes you feel apathetic, tired, lethargic, depressed, like crawling into a hole, you know, all those yeah. things. And the my first piece of advice to you would be to say, get get cognizant of this. Gain In the book, I call it climate wisdom. But gain some climate wisdom, you know, be discerning about the nutrients you consume because that's only one sliver of truth. And then there's all these other truths out there that just don't make news. So, for example, I love giving people the assignment of um, get really wild and creative about what kind of um, where you're going to get your positive news about solutions. And people will say, oh, the newsletter from my permaculture uh, group. Or they'll say, oh, when I, you know, this particular 
group of kids that my kid hangs out with. They're my new good news people, you know, and Thich Nhat Hanh actually has a great poem called The Good News. And so I recommend that too. It's just that we're we're making the good news, right? So, you know, look to what we're doing as a community (laughs) and the good news we're making, you know, and so you're making good news right now, for example, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't, um, (laughs) it's, it's, you have to think creatively about what counts as good news and where we're getting our stories. And I love the work of Adrienne Marie Brown here is so important to me. Adrienne Marie Brown basically says, what you want to grow and my strongest advice to you is if you're putting your attention on bad news that's bad news is going to get bigger not just in your head but right, in reality right. so feed right. feed something else so it's like let's not doom scroll everybody stop get stop off it. that twi- yeah get off that rabbit hole and then also <laughs> yes find pla- find places that are positive and i think you got it this little bit in your book too like you can't wake up one day and be like i'm going to solve the problem and i'm going to see the impacts like small things matter that's really important to just remember. And I think the other thing that I liked a lot was like practice gratitude and like, don't be, <laughs> this is not how you phrased it. I'm not an author, <laughs> but it was something like, don't be miserable all the time. Like find laughter, <laughs> find joy. <laughs> it was not, she, you wrote it so much better than that. <laughs> it was basically like, along with practice gratitude, it's like create the world you want to live in. Like find, find your own purpose. And like, make sure you're like looking for, like you said, looking for good things, but finding humor and just like embracing the little moments. And I think these are all really important things to remember when other things. Might yeah, and I would be... add a caveat to that because, of yeah, course, yeah, I, yeah, I do don't that, wouldn't you wrote want. The book. I, yeah, and there's always something <laughs> else, that. right? Yeah. The, the notion, like the toxic positivity possibilities oh, of that idea, sure, are not sure, where sure, I'm sure. going with that. And I and yes. I recognize that some people. Um, have clinically diagnosable situations, right? Where yes. depression, anxiety mean that this is not something you can just, you know, decide about. Um, right. But not, not, you know, notwithstanding all those folks, right? There's a certain amount of, I think, what I see in my some of my students in particular, and, and also activists, and and generally the sort of performativity of despair as a, as a badge of your seriousness with which you take the issue. Um, right. You know, it's really, it, it almost to me feels like the choice to be miserable as part of the activism. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we realize when you look at the science that people don't, that, that leads, out, leads to burnout and the people mm-hmm. yeah. like, like chimpanzees and all kinds of other, you know, rats and all kinds of experiments require positive chemicals to happen right. in their brain to keep coming right. back for things for more. This is where I love pleasure activism. Again, Adrienne Brown's work. This notion that we will stay in the game for the longer haul, the more pleasure we get out of it. And that Hmm. doesn't have to be the kind of like um, what might be considered kind of quick fixes of dopamine hits of pleasure like Netflix marathons or whatever. I'm I'm talking about that. But the sense of the the sort of... um, you know, mirror neurons that happens when we get together with people and we're all doing, working on the same stuff and the pleasure we get in it. And when you say about gratitude, what I really mean by that is that sense of um, that high, that endorphin kick, whatever you want to call it, that you get when you see the successes of what you have done. I think we don't celebrate our achievements enough. We're in a constant level because of capitalism, because of productivism, 
We're in a constant state of not enough, not enough, not yeah. enough. Like social media. This other yeah. person has more. I got to do more. Right. I got to work harder. I'm not doing it. Activists, yeah. activists are the worst at this. I, I, the problem is so urgent and my time is so limited and I'm so small that I have to make up for all of that by just burning the midnight oil and just burning right. out and working so hard. And and I'll, I'll never sleep. You'll get emails from me in the middle of the night and, and that's how I'm going to do my, my work. And I think that um, young people are finally coming around, or I hope many of them are, to realizing that this is a lifelong challenge. This isn't like right. the revolution is going to happen by the time they're 20 and then they can sit back and have a, you know, a margarita on the beach or something for the rest of their lives. They're going to be doing <laughs> this for the rest of their lives. Then yeah, they yeah. can play. You know, like right. if, if that problem gets solved, then I'll be able to relax or then I'll right. be able to have pleasure or laugh it's, or love or whatever. It's like integrating play and community within this activism mm-hmm. and then realizing small things are just as impactful, right? Yeah. Like those are all really important things and to remember. And celebrate the small things. Celebrate. I yeah. got up this morning. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I do that a oh, lot. Because <laughs> we need to get, we need to constantly see the successes and the things that we're doing. Because we are, there's a huge amount of successes. That's not to ignore what lies ahead and what still has to be done, but to to really use the um, the fuel, the refueling aspects of appreciating what we've achieved to carry on. Well, right. And if you're burnt out, you're not going to be your best self or be able to put your best That's foot forward it. to be able to think in the like ways that will help even small scale. Things, yeah, and right? people talk about the impacts of climate change on mental health. We have tons mm-hmm. of studies out there. People are showing we get more suicidal, we get angrier with each yeah. other. We all these things are happening as impacts, mental health impacts of climate change. But what people don't talk about is the impacts on climate change of our mental health, right? Like we Ooh. need our mental health right. yeah, to yeah. engage with climate change. And so this it can be a vicious cycle unless we can yeah. stop that, yeah. you know. Oh, what an awesome positive feedback. Sorry. I know your scientists you not think about positive feedback. Loops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did I did do a circle with my hands, so I was trying to trying to get you, you there. Made, you made the positive feedback. No, I'm looking for them in it's a circle. anything. <laughs> yeah. So so Sarah, what what initially got you interested in this sort of climate work? Because you were a religious studies major in college, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So the connections between the two have only recently kind of emerged for me. So that's that's like starting starting really recent and going backwards. But okay. I didn't think religious studies was going to get us to sort of social justice or an improved world, humanitarian as you like or whatever. <laughs> so I, which is so strange because everybody I studied in religious studies, all the sort of people I said, Martin Luther King and you know, Gandhi and all these people, they were really engaged in politics. So, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like you take what people in the religious world called spiritual bypass. You know, you take your sort of navel gazing inner journey as an excuse to not engage in the real world, you know. And I, but for some reason, I felt felt that way when I graduated college and I felt so committed to social justice. I was also a women's studies minor and I'd been working since I was 16 and on um, abortion rights, uh, reproductive justice issues. Awesome. So I was that's like, I gotta, to I gotta go back to reproductive justice because that's where, you know, real difference is gonna make. And I really yeah. didn't feel like I'd make a difference in the world with religious studies. Um, can we, can, maybe yeah. Rach, can we like mix these questions? See, was your first job at this abortion rights that was clinic? volunteer volunteering and then i did my um like senior capstone at one in philly i, I went to nice. college outside philly and so i did one in philly, yeah in philly. and then i came back to la to south central and worked at a family law nonprofit. so my first job yeah. out of college wow. was in the world of 
Um, I took whatever I could get that had to do with gender equality, racial equality. I could do some work in, um, well, it was sort of domestic law stuff, you know, like. Mm -hmm. How did you get into that in high school? Like, wow. I was not clued I enough. I can't remember to, that far back. I just um, feel like I was like a clueless 16 year old. I was just, just like, like got the, you, playing field hockey. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, I was working at a pro, like a golf pro show. I just think it's so cool that as a 16 year old, you're like, I am, do, like, I, oh, I, am I so know. Committed. I remember. I was just like, okay. like, what was it? I have no idea. How so, did I get here? So, first of all, my mom was a feminist. So, I, I had this mom who, I swear to God, I, I remember having dinner with Betty Friedan one day, you know, like, I mean, there was feminism in my life. Right. And then I took a women's literature elective class in high school with some woman who I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember. And also a religion class. So the elective classes was world religions and one about women's lit or something. And I remember just being like, yep, this is my thing. I'm, I'm a feminist. That's what I'm doing. Um, and so I went to, but I also had gotten totally hooked on beat literature and Zen Buddhism and all kinds of stuff like that. So I went to college thinking I was going to study Eastern religion mm-hmm. and, okay. um, I did. I was great. It was great. <laughs> and I did that thing. I, I showed read, that I showed, college. I think I read like five different translations of the Tao Te Ching or something. I was just like, this is was the best your, stuff ever. <laughs> was your mom super cool with you being a religious studies major? Yeah, totally. Because I could have, yeah, totally. oh my gosh. My dad, my dad, not so much. He was like, what are you going to do with that? What, <laughs> right. Why aren't like you an engineer? All yeah. Oh, all right. the time, all right. the time. So that whole like, what will you do with that major line is goes deep with me, you know? Mm. Um, and the funny thing is that I, I really was from, a, because of, I suppose probably because of my privilege, I'm, you know, I have co- college grad graduated parents, uh, PhD parents, you know, they basically kind of told me, you know, I got the impression that you go to college, not just to get a job. And I kind of had this sense of stability, like even with a religious studies job, with a religious studies degree, I'll get a job. And honestly, I graduated at a time when the economy was great. You know, I graduated college. So not 2008? Yeah. So right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Or now, or now, I guess. No. Right. And actually um, there was, you know, people coming out of college could major in kind of anything and still get, I mean, it's one of those things. It was, you know. So my first job out of college was with was in South Central LA doing sort of, you know, family law type stuff. And yeah. then I wanted to go back to graduate school and I did an American studies where I focused on social justice. And then wow. I ran into a woman who was a geographer, a human geographer. Ooh, geographers are the coolest. Human geographer. Sorry. Rachel. I know. <laughs> I, I love geographers. Yeah. And she, uh, her name is Diana K. Davis and she's now at UC Davis. And she was at UT Austin when I was there and she taught a class, several classes I took on political ecology. And basically her argument to me was, if you care about social justice, you gotta you gotta pay attention to this environment stuff because this environment mm, stuff has yeah. a lot of social justice stuff going on. It's not just for the scientists. It's all related. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, oh, okay, and I <laughs> I, I still wasn't down with the religion connection okay. to that. You know, I still wasn't doing anything with religion. Right. And then I then when my students started freaking out about all this stuff, I thought this is serious stuff. This is and I was in denial about climate change myself. You asked mm-hmm. earlier about how did I get to climate oh, yeah. change. I actually wrote yeah. col- my my papers in graduate school were like critiques of climate change as a way that the environmental movement 
was using alarmism to get wow. more, you know, obedience in people. Like I was a real critical. Wow. Critical yeah. of the spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah you I was, were right. I was well, and then, yeah, like so now we have these. <laughs> this was ineffective. This, the justice, <laughs> like if you look at the climate movement from a justice-oriented lens, the justice question in the climate movement was never central until very recently. Oh, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, absolutely. I don't care about climate. That's not where environmental justice is at. Climate change is for privileged people. Environmental mm -hmm. justice is where it's at for me, and that's what I wanted to think about. Mm -hmm. And climate didn't really come around to me until um, the justice argument became central to clim the climate movement. And my students were saying, all of this stuff, my students taught me this, right? All of these things are interconnected. The justice problems, the authoritarianism problems, the refugee stuff, all the things that they're getting news about all seem to be under the umbrella of climate, you know, with getting yeah, worse yeah. by climate. So that was when I thought, oh, it, you know, one sort of easy lens through which you can understand all of these things and try to tackle all of them might be climate. Maybe I should give it another chance. If the environmental justice movement is taking on climate seriously, then I took that lead from them. And we saw that happening in like the People's Climate March in 2014. Right. We see that happen in the youth climate movement, um, Standing Rock, all the places of the movement's been doing that work of combining climate with justice. Mm -hmm. And so that got was my first entry point. And then when my students were barely when I felt like I was having to be like a, a therapist to students, to, yeah. to you're going to be okay. Yeah. You can find solutions. This training is going to set you up so great. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, and I started to be like, no, they're not believing it, you know, and, and I, yeah. I think maybe I need better tools. And so that's when I went into the research on climate anxiety. I didn't yeah. even know that was a phenomenon until I started thinking, what's wrong with my students? You know, so that in grad thing. school that you, you sort of, no, this was, um, yeah. This started happening probably around 2013, 14. And yeah, that sounds yeah. right. When thinking about like when we start, when I actually yeah. started to hear like EJ's environmental justice is like a real thing that people should. Can I ask what classes you taught before you cared about climate change? Because you were still environmental humanities, right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I would teach, I mean, the environmental studies field is huge and you can talk about a lot of environmental issues without ever bringing up climate. Climate's like mm. new to the, new to the game, huh. you know? Huh. Not from a paleo, like, not from you. Yeah, I was gonna say, years. Rachel's like, no, mm, no. Like, climate but actually attracts environment, but okay. Let me, I'll have you know, right? Well, yeah. actually. <laughs> I think Sorry. you'll find. Um, so yeah, so for, for the discourse, right? Like in the in the yeah. movement spaces, yes. climate yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, Bill McKibben was there, you know, going after it, but everybody else who was worried about justice was like, <laughs> we gotta deal with this stuff that's right in front of us, people. Um, yeah. Polar bears versus people kind of thing, you know? And oh, so, that polar bear on the iceberg. Though. Yeah, the polar yeah. bear on the iceberg. Like, oh. um, so <laughs> there's a sense of uh, the climate moving being about glaciers and polar bears and things that aren't really directly related to people and that the energy going into climate change was taking away from social justice issues. And so there was a split. Oh, interesting. There was a real split in the social justice worlds and the climate worlds hmm. for some time, and there still is, honestly. Um, so there's a, huh. yeah, that, so I taught environmental justice, straight up environmental justice from a social, okay. social studies, I mean, social sciences and humanities social perspective. Sciences. Yeah. So yeah, I teach oh, like the critique cool. of wilderness and, um, yeah. you know, what is wilderness? Yeah. I mean, that's my critique of the wilderness. whole wilderness thing was, was a thing <laughs> like wilderness was the, the wilderness versus like, um, nature is where we live, work, pray and pray 
play. You know, there's a sort of like yeah. environmental justice critique of wilderness from an indigenous perspective. Wilderness is actually stolen land. You know, all that kind of stuff yeah. was was yeah, my yeah. my thing until that's awesome. Yeah. Climate anxiety, which was really a response to students' inability to get through get through college. Environmental justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't even come to class. How are you going to be? solving all these problems you know yeah. So, yeah so so when did you how long had you been thinking and teaching on climate anxiety when you decided to formalize it into a book <laughs> well you know i think i was um it was uh, a moment i had with a colleague uh, mm -hmm. at a conference where she basically i was whining at her about how i was at a Cal State University that's really teaching focus and I couldn't do my research. I was all, you know, I want to do my oh, research. I, I know the life. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hand-holding these students so much through their existential journey through this content. I don't have time to do my EJ research, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I can't believe that I even was saying these things out loud and now I'm confessing them to you. Confessing. Well, they're all, um, we are recording. We yeah, have, it's on recording. Yeah, I'm not expecting you to edit that out. It's, we have also you all said off the similar record. things, don't you? you worry. It's, it's like yeah. a, it's like your kind of, you know, um, privileged professor complaint, right? Yeah, but it's like tough, right? Because people put pressure on whatever. I like completely understand because there's all this ex other different existential pressure on you about research. What? Yeah, you got to get totally tenure fine. and all that. So yeah. right around it was. I think it was actually the year I was applying for tenure, and she said. Well, since you're about to presumably get tenure, why don't you um, change your research to be about this stuff that you're complaining about? And I was <laughs> like, wow. Kill two birds with one stone, right? There. That's yeah. a good idea, because then it will help me and it will help my students and it will maybe help other people, maybe who yeah, are having this problem. Awesome. And yeah. That's a good colleague. Wow. You know, it's a total <laughs> revelation. I know. I, I write about Jen Ladino. I'll say her name Thanks, until the cows come. Jen. Jen Ladino. Shout out, Jen. I know. She, Jen just did it. I was like, Jen, okay, I'm going to do that. And actually, she um, she said, I'd love to have a piece like that. Actually, the field, one of the first fields you might want to study is this field called affect theory or affect studies. Yeah. And affect is kind of like about an, another word for emotions, right? It's not yep. effects, like special effects, right? It's like emotions. It's an A. It's an A. Yeah. And um, it's a really important detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As if it wasn't confusing enough already. Um, but yeah, so affect studies, I thought, was this thing that people who, um, you know, I, I felt like it was a very privileged field of where, where people who study how, how we feel about environmental destruction, mm. that's affect studies. And I thought, I mean, that's not my jam. That's not what I want to spend my time thinking about. But I realize now that I was very much part of this um, false binary that emotion is something and spirituality is something that yeah. happens for privileged people gotcha. and you know real justice on the ground work doesn't involve emotion doesn't have time for emotion right, right. the emotions don't matter doing the work. just surviving right. just doing the thing. right yeah, yeah, yeah and there is a there is still the, a lot of that i think built into some activist um circles but most movement spaces that i i pay attention to really center emotional resilience and spiritual fuel as mm -hmm. a significant i mean it's almost non-negotiable in those spaces so it's i think it's an un unnecessary prejudice i had before and once i turned to thinking about emotions and what was i was asking what's going on with my students why are they doing this what do i need to know about emotions to make sure they can get through this content and go out and do this work and that's when I realized, oh, we have all these hidden curriculum in our syllabi. This, Jen Ladino said, what if your syllabus is like a story? 
you know, if you think right. about your syllabus, taking students through a narrative arc and their motions with them, right? Where do we end up? What do we take them through? Where do we end up? And I thought, what, well, we always talk about student learning outcomes and institutional learning outcomes, right. about right. where we want students to end up when they walk across a graduation the stage. The course goals are Yeah, this, this is right, what you're right. going to know how to do, right? But we never talk right. about how they're emotionally going to be able to like emotional wellness do this all, stuff yeah. because we want yeah. them to fix the world and it turns out emotions are the number one ingredient for any work we do yeah. at all. <laughs> so. Wow. I am like reframing my syllabus in my head to not end on such a doubt. Like my, I feel like my last week is like the world is on fire and now it's not going to be now. It's not. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because since I wrote this book and I had this whole critique about the ending on hope, trope right um oh yeah there's a and and i think ending on hope is better than than ending on doom so which is what i do so there's a preferred preference that. there but you know <laughs> it's been interesting to have people bring in the psychology or emotion dimension first week of the class now yeah so yeah, people yeah. will say oh i used to start with the science now I'm starting with emotional intelligence. Hmm. Sarah, would you come on week one, not week 10? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. oh, they're swooping, they're swapping it around. It's so cool as people see things, start to see their syllabus as the story they're telling and be more deliberate about it, using all this data about what emotions actually do to decision making and behavior change. And I think it's interesting just getting students in the mindset, like, yes, we are thinking about, like, your, your, I feel like I take on my students' anxieties too. You know what I mean? It's like, not only this, but it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is like, <laughs> I feel you feeling this. Hmm. So maybe if you frame, just like, it's sort of everyone. like you were saying, right, with the doom scrolling, right? Like, let's not, or you didn't, I'm putting words in your mouth for usual. <laughs> uh, but or don't focus on the negative. It's sort of, you're like framing this narrative in a very specific way where you're not hitting that amygdala. Is that the word? Mm -hmm, Brain word. <laughs> oh, I did it. Yeah, neuroscience. <laughs> I'm so like, I'm so stoked on the neuroscience of this too because there's like science behind all this stuff. It's not yeah. this notion that emotions. The emotion is instead of the science, which I just sort of said, is in fact not really true. Yeah, yeah it's well, really cool. It's really well, cool. have you seen what's that movie with Alex Honnold and the guy, the guy who free solos? Oh, oh, free yeah. Solo. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's called Free Solo. Think, thanks, Rachel. Yeah. Uh, well, they do the. I thought the most interesting part of that movie was when they scanned his brain, and he doesn't and have an amygdala. <laughs> Everyone else is like, yeah, but did you see him climb that thing? I'm like, what no, the no, brain no, no, no. part? That was wild. You're like, that's, that's the only thing keeping me back from doing that. Yes, that's like, the only thing. My amygdala. My, I think if I was, I have the parts of his brain that he does it. My amygdala. <laughs> well, so, so that, I want to speak to that actually, because the amygdala, the, the fact of the matter is that we are inclined to focus on that stuff naturally. And so it, it serves us and it serves the planet to actively work against that as like a discipline. It's like martial arts or it's like a Zen right. practice. You gotta like actively be in a different story. And you know, spiritual leaders from forever know this, right? Like Joanna Macy, my favorite Buddhist, you know, social, social justice activist type, she talks about needing to live in a story of the great turning instead of the story of the great unraveling. And turns out neuroscience backs this up. If we live in a story where things are looking up, and people around us are all holding hands and doing the work together, we are actually far more likely to bring about that reality in our work. 
your brains are terrifying, right? Because there are all those people who like just they like. I'm just imagining you get there are people who have, get sick, and the people who are like positive about being sick sometimes they're like better outcomes, right? Because their brains yeah. are like, we'll be fine. Have you we'll listened to that okay. podcast? That recent podcast, the Hidden Brain one. It's all about oh, mindset. No, it's just yes, exactly about wild. that. It's about exactly yeah. that research about mindsets. If you tell me the milkshake I'm gonna eat is um, got a lot of calories, I'm more likely to. Um, not let it actually be uh, give me negative health outcomes than if you told me that it was uh, very few calories. It's so it's actually yeah. counterintuitive. It's what? so weird. It's so, so weird. all I have to do before I eat my leftover wedding cake tonight yeah. is yeah. say this it's is really unhealthy. For you. Yeah, really unhealthy. Great, great. Because if I'm you, sad. it's so I'm weird. The science okay. behind this is so cool. Mindsets. <laughs> so I want to contact that person who does all this research on mindsets. And say, do you want to do a, like a climate mindset study? I'm, I'm about to do it. I'm going to write her an email. When you publish that, send it to us. Climate mindsets. Little... Man, that's where it's I all mean, at. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Sarah, I don't know what the answer to this question would be, but if you weren't doing this job, what would you, if climate change weren't a thing, what, what? what would you are be you, writing about? Are you trying to say I don't seem destined for this work? <laughs> you are. I'm just the teasing. Everybody, this question. <laughs> I'm teasing. Everyone? I love this question. Actually, I was, I read your questions and I was thinking about this question all day and I'm just like, what Boiler am I going to say? We send out, yeah, we, we send the guest questions beforehand. I know, this is the hardest question. What do people say? I'm curious. People are uh, like, I'd be a baker, I, but a lot of people are like, no, I most people are like, I would do exactly thing, this. Most people uh, okay, are like, I would do exactly nuanced. this, just not this one part of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good question. Okay, but so. But Steph's was hmm. like, you would be a film yeah, you can oh, do film. I don't film. know. I would, I would be writing something about. Oh, well, I got write about I pop culture. I gotta, I, I have to be transparent yeah. about something. You asked me what my day job entails, and yeah. the chairing stuff. I'm taking a year leave of absence from that stuff so that I can do this sure. work full time. Great. So yeah. I am trying to spend a year answering that question and doing this Ooh. work. Get back however, to it. However. <laughs> I can't do that forever because it doesn't give me enough of a paycheck, right? So I don't have yeah, my yeah, benefits yeah. and whatever. So you got to live in capitalism. And, um, you, you know, you so there's really that. Do. If I had, if I can't, if I didn't have to live in capitalism, that'd be a Great. whole other question. We should ask that okay, question if you didn't instead. have to, if you weren't stuck in this we awful mindset, <laughs> uh, this, this world that we live in where there's winners and losers and you have to work your ass off to get very, very little. Um, I love what that. would you do? <laughs> you described that so well. <laughs> Thank you. That's how I yeah. introduced capitalism in my class yeah. and my B-school kids love it. Oh my gosh. I would so be like, um, I would just love to go and do um to get like trained up as a as a monk and like do engage sure. engage Buddhism, do it do activism <laughs> do like spiritual do activism that? yeah i love i just we fully yeah. support that joan halifax ticknot han all those Cannot. people i love them they're so ins inspiring uh -huh. to me and I, I you know this is where the full circle stuff has come because of course yeah. like it took me to my my be in my 40s where i was like oh no the the work really isn't in, in, an inside job and we need to start with compassion. <laughs> yeah. And and we can't, you know, this notion that I can't fix the problems at these huge scales while I'm using my desire to fix them at a huge scale and really fast as an excuse to do harm at small scales and not do things slow enough to not do harm, you know? So yeah, the yeah. kind of walking around the world as a tool of capitalism in my daily life 
you know, in the small stuff that I do, um, while I'm while I'm pretending that I'm doing bigger things, you know, like every time I use my dryer instead of hanging my laundry, I'm like, oh no, I'm a professor and I have really Sarah. important things to do, so I'm <laughs> not gonna hang up that today, laundry, you know. Wait a sec. Today did that. I hung up the laundry just See? for the first time ever in my life. <laughs> wow! I put my laundry in, and I thought Rachel's moving to Denmark, and I thought in Europe oh, yeah, they don't have dryers. They don't do this there. Yeah, I think I have a dryer. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to. Are you, we shouldn't be righteous about it's this. It's, no, I'm not it's being like righteous. Small. I'm never going to do it again. It took so no, much time. I know exactly. It takes so much time. We have kids and careers, and we live in capitalism. So who has time for that? I totally get we that. Have things to do. But yeah, we've got to do. Very small stipend of having you on this podcast support you for months to become a mom <laughs> yeah i can Please live on yes. la- i can live Just on very little yes. i can be mostly hanging laundry actually and that would be Great. probably <laughs> it's this like notion that the the work is actually at that scale of like how we walk through the world and if i can eliminate my violence to each other and people in the more than human world that i go around all the time doing i fly i do all the terrible things mm-hmm. you know and you know, I gotta examine that that before I can really you know, imagine doing that, improving any of those things at any scale. And uh, I'm gonna try to do both. You know, like they're I get it on podcasts too. Work to so, do, yeah. Oh my god, big scale, small scale. You know, like the fractal stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. But, Geographers yeah. love scales, spatial I know. skills. I love it. We're all hey, about it. So do paleoclimatologists. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure a lot of people, because literary people love scale, too, because we talk about it in terms of the sublime. (laughs) The sublime is all about scale. You know, it's about Ah. big stuff making you feel small. Should we we should start a new podcast, (laughs) spin-off podcasts, all about the scale in different fields. I love it. Yeah. Big planet, big fields. Uh, Piano scales. I know. There's your podcast. You're going to, oh my God, I love it. Um, you said you wanted to produce a podcast, right? You said that? I'm pretty oh, that's sure. the thing I wasn't right going to do if I didn't started, have this job. Were... <laughs> yeah. huh? That's the job I don't want. You can do okay. that. Okay. So, Sarah, to wrap up, you don't have a LinkedIn, but where can we find you on the computer? Well, you work on an app. Are you... Wait, do you have, you didn't ask our question that we ask everybody, Rach. Do you have a pet? Do you have a pet? Do, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <gasps> First, tell us about your pet. Okay. And yeah. if Two they dogs. have a social media presence, Ooh. you get bonus points. Yeah, I want to I think only one innocence. person's ever yeah. said yes. That's why Rachel social... didn't ask you that. She was pretty sure they did not have a social media presence. I was presence. going to. Oh, I, I'm so sorry, Rachel. Well, also, yeah. Tell us about your dog. Also, I think one person's answered yes. So my dog, <laughs> I do have one dog that has a little bit of a social media presence. That's because he got lost. And we had to put him on social media to find him. But he was found. And he was found, thank goodness, to social media. And this wonderful woman named Robin who found him. Thank Um, you, Robin. I love the shout outs. Appreciation everywhere. Shout out, Robin. Shout out, Jen. That's Buster, my little (laughs) pandemic foster Foster. fail. Yeah, it was a foster fail. I was like, we're going to foster this dog. And I'm going to prove prove to my kids that little dogs suck. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And then you kept the little dog. Oh, my God. Love him. Love him. Best dog I've ever had in my life. And then um, we have a, we have another <laughs> adopted dog who's a big dog because that's I love big dogs too. So that's Lupin, the big dog. And then we have a gecko, leopard gecko that oh, doesn't get so any more So many love. pets. Was, does anybody want a leopard gecko? And I have three rats that I'd like to get rid of. Honestly, you these kids I have don't take you care of those animals. A, you know, you'd appreciate Five them chickens. more if you had them on but, social media. Yeah, yeah maybe I need to have a Instagram person. account. Those rats are really cute. <laughs> And but they're smart. They're, they're and like they're very cuddly. Smart. They're so they're cuddlier than guinea pigs, rabbits. 
They're the best. Guinea pigs. No. And I have five chickens. They give you us have eggs. so many pets. I know. Okay. Have and you now I'm not even talking. List. I got the okay. worms in the compost too. I think of them as my pets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I take care of them. <laughs> no, we temporarily moved to Maine for four months because I'm on like the like pre-tenure leave, and my husband get the worms were like his priority number one. Finding See? a home for the worms. I know you don't uh, we have a cat around. and a dog, but the worms are. We, <laughs> I mean, I feel like you should put your pets on social media. I Rachel, sorry, they... I interrupted your question. What was your original question? Before uh, I oh, we're talk about pets? on the computer. Yeah. Yeah, that's not LinkedIn. Yeah, I have a website. It's sarahjaquetree.com, but I we'll don't... We'll link to it. I don't really keep it very well updated, but it, it's it's all, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I got to get my, my media savvy going. And I do have Instagram, sjaquetree, oh. and uh, Twitter, awesome. same thing, sjaquetree. And then... Yeah. Um, Facebook has a page for the uh, book, A Field Guide to Climate Anxiety. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we'll put link that to all on there. Yeah. We'll also link to your pet's um, new social media um, Send that Instagram our account. way. Great. Okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> Esther Cat Ray <laughs> underscore zoo. Right? <laughs> underscore, yeah. Menagerie. Underscore worms. Menagerie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, it must be nice to be an English person, like a humanitarian that knows words. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, it's funny you should say that because one of the things that happens with science is science folks is they're like, I didn't get trained in this human, uh, messy human yeah. stuff of emotions and my students' emotions. Yeah. So please come and tell them and me what to do about this. So it's yeah. it's really been a journey, a really amazing. I love all these scientists who are who are like, yeah, this is really important and cool stuff. So I appreciate that you both. Aww. Um, are, we are having that thought. You. We appreciate you. <laughs> we Thank appreciate you so much you. Thanks. for yeah, joining thanks us. For, thanks for, ha- yeah, thanks for, thanks um, for having us. <laughs> Thank you for having us. I wish you could come over for tea. <laughs> oh my That'd God. Be That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. I accept. Well, you, you could hold my chicken, but also very comfortable.